Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today we're going to talk about an issue that we meet every day in some way or another and probably have some pretty strong opinions about the migration of people and the special type of problems it creates for those who move and even those who are watching those who move. In an article at the British Medical Bulletin, uh, talked about when people migrate from one nation or culture to another, they carry their knowledge and expressions of distress with them. So when settling down in a new culture, their culture identity is likely to change, and that encourages a degree of belonging. And they also attempt to settle down by either a simulation or trying to join the two cultures. Now, migration is a process of social change when the individual alone or accompanied by others because of one reason or another, economic betterment or political upheaval, or for some reason leaves one geographical area for prolonged stay or a permanent settlement in another area. So this process uh, does not only involve just leaving social networks, um, which may be well established, but also experiencing a sense of loss, dislocation, alienation, and isolation. And a series of factors in the environment might be combined with levels of stress and the ability to deal with the stress, the ability to root yourself, and can vary between one person or another. For example, there has been a a classic study by uh, de Gord from Norway that showed that the rates of schizophrenia among Norwegians who migrated to the U.S. were much higher as compared to the Norwegians who stayed back. And this study set the standard for many studies comparing the rates of schizophrenia and other psychiatric illnesses for those compared to those who migrated and those who were left behind. Now, it could be argued that the process of migration, the sense of dislocation and alienation might contribute to the stress of individuals and their families, even though experience of alienation and dislocation would be different at the group and the individual level. There are also studies from the UK showing high rates of schizophrenia among migrant groups, especially African Caribbeans in the United Kingdom. And there seems to be a consensus that people who have migrated show more psychological stress symptoms than those who stayed home. So it would seem that those who migrate need a lot of psychological flexibility to adapt to a new culture, new language, and new social rules. So today, we're going to discuss this issue with a fellow expat who, like myself, has moved from the States to Europe, Dr. Andrew Glosker, who's a research scientist at the Department of Psychology at the University of Basel in Switzerland. Um, It would seem to me that 
Act would be an excellent model of helping people adapt to new countries. So I want to welcome you, Andrew, to discuss this with me. Well, thanks for having me. Just like you, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, just like you um, had back and forth with the United States and Europe and there's great things that go along with that, also some challenges. So, Andrew, you've had a number of years thinking about this and working with this. What what um, got you interested in this issue of of people moving back and forth? Well, I, I would say probably uh, I began thinking about this intently when, after what I call my, my first year stint in Germany. I lived in Germany for five years, uh, and I just watched myself uh, – become more and more interested in different things, different language, being able to express myself in a new language, cultural aspects, uh, cuisine, and that went really, really well, full of excitement for several years. Mm -hmm. And then I started to miss home. (laughs) And I caught myself saying things first to myself and then to other people, well, this is much better back in the States, and this Mm -hmm. is much better back in the States. And um, I think at the end of that, I was convinced nearly everything was better in the States. (laughs) (laughs) And so I up and left, went back to the States, and I don't think I've ever been so um, uh, suffering from culture shock as when I went back to live in the States. Mm -hmm. My country was not what I had remembered it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the things that I thought were better uh, were figments of my imagination mm-hmm. or I had twisted in order to serve my my own needs at that time, which um, led me to write several emails apologizing to several of my German friends. <laughs> <laughs> A very humbling experience. It was good. Um, and at that point in time, I... I stopped saying that. I stopped saying this is better in this country, this is better in that country, which made it actually very difficult to discuss my my inner experiences with people. Because that tends to be the way um, people like to talk about it, to simplify it. It is easier to to speak in categories. Um, at the same time, it became a challenge to me, especially when I came back to Europe after I finished my PhD, that I was going to be much more open to things, or try to anyways, that's what I uh, what I told myself I was going to do. And so I have caught myself again saying similar statements, in which case I'm a little bit more equipped with some ACT uh, concepts now that I can hold that a little bit more lightly. Yeah. So how do you understand that process if, you, if you're trying to understand? Is it is it uh, just a simplification that when I feel a little discomfort that I tend to to look for a cause which a simplified cause that that's better somewhere else well most certainly if we can't change it right away I suppose if there are ways to change the discomfort uh, these processes would be short shorter lived Um, but when when it comes to things like expressing um, humor Mm -hmm. or expressing memories from your childhood and you're looking around and nobody understands <laughs> what you're talking about because well they had a different childhood mm-hmm. 
or the humor. I'm assuming, of course, that some of my jokes are actually funny, but <laughs> <laughs> when when people aren't laughing and then you have to explain it, it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense at that point. Uh, so some of these things can be ongoing challenges, but I mean, I think those are, are rather harmless things. I have been very, very lucky. I think along your lines that I learned the language well enough that I have many, many German friends, and many. I'm living in Switzerland now, so I'm attaining more and more Swiss friends, and so that buffers me a little bit to some of those things. And yet, there are days that I, I very distinctly sense that I want something from the states that uh, that's not available. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, strangely, if I can just mention one example, I've never been much of a uh, a sports fan or at least a fanatical one at that um, but I do find that there are times that I care more now about what's happening in baseball or American football mm-hmm. because I don't have access to it mm-hmm. 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 so what if you were thinking um, now Andrew we're talking about us as quite privileged immigrants we chose right, to leave right. the country and we have learned the language and so we could say we and we're both at the universities here so we've been accepted on that level but in, that's probably not representative of most people who immigrate no I, I think you're quite right about that if we think about asylum seekers or forced migration uh, as it's called uh, I think that these these feelings of of homesickness can be multiplied by a factor of a thousand most likely um, there are all kinds of problems that go along with the stories the, the life stories that people are are trying to make sense of their own lives when uh, when the move with all the stressors that that involves then doesn't also live up to the not even and close to the expectations and probably brings on more stressors, more trauma in some cases, uh, that has got to be much, much more difficult. Yeah. I'm thinking, too, about, you know, right now in Europe with within the European community, we've had um, uh, the uh, Romans, the people who now have, um, uh, are are in in Sweden, you know, playing on the streets. And, and there it's, it's caused a lot of, um, elicited a lot of... Um, if you could say racist type of talk, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's um, when you listen. When I came to Sweden in 1972, uh, I was actually called as an American. I came from a Quaker college in the United States and saw myself definitely not as a racist, but I was um, called a racist here because Sweden was a very homogeneous country like Switzerland, and uh, they were. Um, they were not used to any kind of migration, and they saw themselves as non-racist and looking at me as an American, you know, coming from what they thought was a more segregated society. Now, in 42 years since then, uh, Sweden has become aware of their own racism mm-hmm. because of the you know immigration, and 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 I very quite proudly think of the United States as uh, that country has gone through a long, long process of assimilation and yes. a lot of work and where Europe is probably behind in that. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, and I, I, I think racism and stereotypes are universal phenomenon. Uh, and yet I agree with you that these factors, because they haven't been discussed so openly as in the States, they probably are festering a little bit under the 
the surface more here, although I have no data to back that up. It's just my personal perception. But you can just look around at the current politics that are happening here. Uh, Switzerland uh, voted recently to limit the migration from other countries into the uh, into Switzerland, which has brought a lot of controversy uh, within Europe. Uh, I think there's some votes coming up where people are concerned about the unity within the European Union and the policies that all European uh, countries have adopted with respect to migration. So uh, it, it's nice to be open and <laughs> it seems to bring some problems with it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think in the, isn't it in Switzerland and in, in Denmark, Finland and Sweden, we have now um, what would be called the rightist, um, I, I don't know if you want to call it racist parties, but parties that uh, publicly denounce immigration, do, do not want immigration. Julian? Yes. Oh, you're still there. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, yes. Uh, 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 there is a, a growth of that uh, throughout Europe, and they seem to be capitalizing on some of the uh, migration fears. And whereas I understand the fears, I don't believe that we are necessarily beholden to um, to respond to them as if they were real. And I think that distinction is something that ACT can help us with quite a bit. Yes, yeah, so when we think of ACT, um, we're talking about both uh, psychological flexibility for the people who are migrating, but also maybe psychological flexibility for the people who are um, watching the migration or being... Or living next to the migration. Living next to the migration. So what, how do you think... Uh, you, you had a passage from The Little Prince. Do you want to start with that? Sure. There's a a passage that I I found. I was uh, reading to my, I was reading my son, The Little Prince, recently. And as I was going through this, I thought, oh my goodness, this is just a wonderful description of uh, relational frame theory, which is (laughs) related to to ACT, Uh, the idea of what we do with language. And then when you and I started talking about the show, I also thought, wow, this is just a, a beautiful description of what can happen when one finds themselves in in a new place, in a strange place? And for and, um, everyone who loves the little prince, you know, the little prince comes from another planet and he's going around and exploring different planets. And he finally gets to planet Earth and he's lost and doesn't know anyone and is saying that he's uh, looking for friends. And he meets a fox. And so the, the fox begins to talk to the, to the little boy. Uh, and this, if you can allow me, it goes on for several paragraphs, but I think mm-hmm. it, it hits home on, on some important points. So um, <clears throat> the fox was quite intrigued by uh, the prince's statements that he was coming from on another planet and started to ask questions. They said, well, are there hunters on that planet? And the little prince answers, no. Oh, now that's interesting. And chickens? No. Well, nothing's perfect, sighed the fox. But he returned to the idea. My life is monotonous. I hunt chickens. People hunt me. All chickens are just alike. And all men are just alike. So I'm rather bored. But if you tame me, and that was his way of talking about friendship, 
If you tame me, my life will be filled with sunshine. I'll know the sound of footsteps that will be different from all the rest. Other footsteps send me back to my underground. Yours will call me out of my burrow like music. And then look, you see those wheat fields over there? I don't eat bread. For me, wheat is of no use whatever. Wheat fields say nothing to me, which is sad. But you have hair the color of gold. So it will be wonderful once you've tamed me. The wheat, which is golden, will remind me of you, and I'll love the sound of the wind in the wheat. The fox fell silent, stared at the little prince for a long while. Please tame me, he said. I'd like to, the little prince replied, but I haven't much time. I have no friends. I have to find friends. Talk a little bit about mindfulness. <laughs> uh, and what I found in that passage that just radiated with me is that you can walk by wheat fields every day and not even notice that they're there. Mm -hmm. And so there is possibility. I don't want to say this is the, the answer or the solution to everything, but there is possibility to bring certain new stimuli, if you wish, in combination with other things and find meaning there. Mm -hmm. And that meaning, as you were discussing before, I think is, is an opportunity both for the migrant and the people who are interacting with the migrant. I love that story, Andrew. I, it reminds me, I, um, I do some supervision at the Red Cross for uh, people who work with um, children who come by themselves as asylum seekers. Mm. And they, um, and when you, they, they often are, say things like, um, I want to have friends, but my friends are in the old country. I want yeah. my family, but my family's in the old country. And so they're, what they're, the sense of loss is for a particular form. But if you can help them look at the function, like what is the function of friends, what is the function of family, there are people all around them that can substitute. Absolutely, yeah. If they could leave the fusion of that particular form. And, you know, I have a personal example myself. Um, uh, my mother died when I was young. And I, um, when I became a mother myself, I wanted a grandmother. And if I, if I was fused with the form that a grandmother would be my mother and I don't have a mother and therefore I can't have a grandmother. But I actually advertised for a grandmother. <laughs> and I got one. <laughs> and uh, and it was worked perfectly fine because if you think the function of a grandmother is, for example, to uh, give you a perspective from another generation, to uh, sh uh, teach traditions, to you know unconditional acceptance, yeah, uh, and yeah. and and there are plenty of people around, you know who who you know because we love human connection, we all benefit from it. If you're willing just to leave those particular forms when you migrate. Yes, yeah. We can get so caught up in those forms. And at the same time, if we even, I mean, you can tell me or tell us about the experience you have working with these kids. I think that if you can start to point to the function, that is a huge step. And then there's a bit of an acceptance move that might be necessary as well. Um, where you yeah, say, tell us about that. Tell, what are you thinking about acceptance? Well, what I'm thinking here is, uh, you know, uh, oftentimes uh, from the in the act speak, we, we get in trouble with our butts. 
so yes, yes, Joanne, uh, I see that there are possibilities to have friends here. I see that there are possibilities to have uh, another grandmother function in my life. I see these things, but, <laughs> and there it comes, <laughs> but I really, really miss my friends back home. Um, and obviously, it, it, these two things can be compatible. I miss my friends back home, something horrible. I miss the forms of the things that I know and grew up with back home. And there are many golden wheat fields available. Mm -hmm. And there are many grandmothers available and so on and so forth. What do you think, Angie, when you think of ACT, um, if we think generally about psychological flexibility, how would do you, uh, what do you think are the components of, you know, a successful assimilation with using ACT? Well, uh, I think the the components that I would work on uh, or do work on with myself, but when I, if I was asked to help somebody in a professional relationship, uh, diffusion, I think, is absolutely crucial that we don't hold our evaluations um, too strongly, that we hold them lightly, mm -hmm. that we can see them for what they are, mm -hmm. and that when we are feeling the sadness and the longing, and the excitement and all these other things that, that we make room for those. Um, I would also think that the that the the narratives that we have about ourselves when we get um, real bogged down in I am uh, you we are but we can both say this I am an American. Um, well, what does that do with us? Um, when we start to defend that. Uh, so self-context self really does matter. I think then on the, on the right side of what we've re referred to the hexaflex, we certainly need to be uh, very mindful of our, of our values. And these values, just as you so uh, very well put before, when we're thinking of them in terms of function as opposed to form, that's when we can flexibly adapt to the to the situation. So I would say the whole model is extremely useful, and uh, I, I don't know if if this is a good uh, point to bring it up. But as we were discussing earlier, uh, I think that is uh, probably what would be necessary from from the side of somebody who is struggling with this. Mm -hmm. Perhaps easiest to understand from the side of the migrant, but empathy from the side of the people who are living with migrants, I think is just as crucial. And that's perhaps one of the nicest things that we might be able to pass along today. What And what, uh, do you have an example how, how we could do that? Yeah, <clears throat> I think uh, depending on where you're living, you're going to more or less readily run into people who are not from, from around there. Mm -hmm. And one, exercise that we can all do is to try and put ourselves into the skin of somebody else just as a, a means of, of being aware um, on a bus on a train walking down the street uh, watching a mother uh, push uh, push her children in a carriage anything like this to, to then ask well if I was this person and looking around right now and experiencing the situation, perhaps even imagining a very different background, 
perhaps then we are able to develop a little bit more empathy and and bring a little bit more flexibility to the situation. So that's a feeling that actually we, we human beings are pretty much identically the same, and we just the different we if we have different forms and expressions that's due to our culture and learning. But human connection really goes over all those forms that you you could actually take contact uh, with a person that looks very different and and maybe try to be helpful. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the, the exercise that I just talked about is one where no contact is necessary. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you take it a step further, when you're standing at the water cooler at work or you're heading to your apartment or house, uh, walking on the street and you're actually in contact or at least you have the potential to be in contact with somebody, then I, I, I would simply ask how are you doing? How are things going? And then this is where the, the ACT model then also applies to both sides of the conversation, that we can be open to somebody else saying, you know, I really, I'm feeling, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling lost. I'm missing this in my own country without taking that as an evaluation that mm -hmm. this country in which we are both finding ourselves or this region or, or wherever this other person has come from, that that doesn't automatically negate everything that we care about. Mm -hmm. That's an important point, Andrew. You know, I, there's something, when I, I grew up in a little town in Vermont in the States and my mother it was very homogeneous and my mother always said to me, if you want to learn something, uh, find someone who is different than you, you know, yes, a, a foreigner yes. or a, you know, of someone who is odd or you know different. That's where you learn something. Not you know. So I think this sense of belonging also has a a backside. Uh, when you belong, you probably are not growing as a person the same way as if yeah. as if you make an effort to actually. Uh, read a newspaper that's not like, you know, doesn't represent your viewpoints or talk right. to people. You have an opportunity there with the discomfort of, oh, the, you know, as you were pointing out, uh, when someone says something different doesn't mean it's a criticism of me. If I can s allow that discomfort, I could actually learn something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew, we've come to the end of our program. Um, do you, what would you... Um, would you have some advice for if we start with first people who are are living next to maybe immigrants or uh, and having some discomfort? What kind of advice could you give those people who live in their own country but um, are exposed to immigrants? Uh, I think the very first thing I would suggest, uh, hard as it is, is to. Breathe deeply and, and hold your thoughts lightly. Mm. Um, and then perhaps look for the commonalities, if only as a means of entering into dialogue. Mm. Uh, and with that, I mean uh, all of us have something in common. Mm. And to, to make the assumption that we care about similar things, mm. I think is much better than to make the assumption, or at least much more useful than to make the assumption that the things that, that divide us uh, are going to just make it impossible for us to uh, communicate with one another. And, of course, that leads to anger and all kinds of other problems. 
I love that, Andrew. I, I, I feel so strongly about that myself, that the working with the women in Sierra Leone or in uh, in Australia, the Aboriginal women, to assume that uh, as women we we have the same values and the same fears. So it's easy to you know connect uh, woman to woman over you know children and caring. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love that idea of, of um, that we essentially assume, even if the, if you look very different than me, that we essentially do probably have the same values and the same needs, same yeah. fears. How about the uh, on the other side, Andrew? The uh, for people like you and me who have left their culture? Uh, I, I think, uh, once again, we have to hold our, <laughs> our thoughts lightly. And I think we also probably have a responsibility to be aware of our stimulus value, um, that we have our needs and that we shouldn't ignore them. And at the same time, we are different. And that pulls for thoughts of difference amongst the people around us and uh, reactions uh, statements, even uh, being ignored, that mm-hmm. this this too will will pull for certain things within us, and we should probably not hold these as absolute truths, but rather um, a nice greeting from <laughs> from our conditioning. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I mean, there's times that you really do need to pay attention to these things, take them seriously, uh, but there, I think there are. Uh, certainly steps that need to be taken before you can uh, write somebody off or or say that a situation is so bad that there's nothing that can be done. Mm. Um, and continue to uh, to care about the things that we that we care about. Um, when we're acting in a flexible way ourselves, I think that generally pulls for flexibility around us. Not always. I don't think it's a it's a cure all, but it does help. I, I'd like to add to that that I think this um, feel the feeling of being on the outside of a society can be great to great advantageous because you um, yeah, it, it gives you an automatic another perspective so it's it's very helpful to uh, you know, you know when people say this is the way things are, you know there are at least one other way of thinking about that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, That's right. So it's, I think it's a very helpful and it's a very flexible place to be, sort of on on the outside of society. I personally enjoy it. Most days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> Thank you so much for um, discussing this issue of migration with me today, Andrew. Well, Joanne, thank you so much for having me and for uh, asking me to talk about this with you. I think this is only going to grow in importance uh, in Europe and the States and probably the rest of the world. Thank you so much, Andrew. You've been listening to Dr. Andrew Gloucester, who is a research scientist at the Department of Psychology at the University of Basel in Switzerland. You can read more about Andrew and his work by clicking on his name on this week's act, Taking Her to Hope. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne and her work, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website icon in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. Joanne's books are available through Amazon.com, including her two latest, The Diet Trap, Feed Your Psychological Needs, and End the Weight Loss Struggle Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, and ACT and RFT in Relationships, Helping Clients Deepen Intimacy and Maintain Healthy Commitments Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy and Rational Frame Theory. 
Amazon also carries her books on chronic pain and other topics. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.